what I tell people is I am not anti-drinking. Everyone has their own story. Like I know some people can drink and handle it. I'm just here to say like, it didn't work for me. And can you just maybe if you are struggling, is alcohol serving you? Like, are you living your best life? Cause I wasn't. And I've been given everything in sobriety. Like my life is a hundred percent better and all the things. So. Christina wasn't always a heavy drinker. It was after university and into her mid-20s when her drinking significantly escalated. She began to drink daily, and it became a huge part of her social life. The drinking then became an addiction, and the dependence on alcohol that she and her husband shared became a red flag as they came to realize that this wasn't a lifestyle that they wanted to bring children into. Welcome to The Safe Haven. I'm your host, Amanda Lytle. The Safe Haven offers a collection of conversations about life's challenges and the pivots that we make in order to keep moving forward. Lying, binge drinking, and even showing up to work drunk, Christina knew that she had to make a change, and that change occurred in February 2020. In this conversation, we discuss sobriety and the socialization and societal norms associated with drinking, and Christina's personal sobriety story through the initial stages of COVID-19. She shares personal messages to people who are sober curious and how sobriety has changed her life. We jump into this conversation with a question. Christina, had you always been a heavy drinker? Um, you know, what's interesting is no, I was not. Um, I grew up in a family who didn't drink. I actually have never seen my parents with a drink. I grew up in a pretty Christian, like evangelical background. And so alcohol was never a part of our life. But um, that said, I would say I started drinking probably, you know, I had my first drink in college, but then I also went to a small private school. And like, we just weirdly, I know the college experience is drinking. We just really didn't drink. I fell into a group of good girls and friends. And, you know, we just had a lot of fun without drinking. I mean, I had the occasional night when I was always the one puking or blacking out, of course. So I would say I met my husband when I was like 24 and then we started dating and he's in the Navy and military culture is just like huge party drink culture. And so I would say it started heavily there. And then like when you're, and I think just in general in your twenties, like I think that's just accepted binge Mm -hmm. drinking, which is part of my message. Maybe we'll get into it, but it's just like that normalization of blacking out and all the things. Yeah. So it picked up there. And then I would say in the last would it be like four years? Cause I'm almost a year sober. I, I don't know. I started just drinking by myself. They, they say like in treatment, it was treatment, like your disease escalates, like it gets really bad. Like, and so mine, um, some people start off at the races and go and just, you know, but mine got worse as I, as time went on. So I would say that, yeah, the three years I spent like the end of my twenties, very heavily drinking. Mm-hmm. And you're the same age as me, right? You're an 88, uh, 89, 89. Yeah. Okay, so I was just trying to factor that in. And you were saying that February 3rd, so whenever this airs, February 3rd is one year. Yeah, yeah. So congratulations, because I feel like there must be an entire story as to how your journey into sobriety started. So take us there. Yeah, for sure. So um, I would, like I said, the last three years, you know, prior to my sober date, I have been drinking heavily. And then the six months before I got sober, it was uncontrollable. I, I now tell the story because I feel like you have to laugh at yourself. If you don't, like you might cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, anyway, like my last 
one of my last nights before I decided to get help, I had been drinking with my husband then went to my neighbors and drank and then everyone went to sleep. And I took, I was like in my pajamas and my robe, my slippers and took my wine glass and just like walked around my neighborhood. And this is at four in the morning, mind you. And I live in like in residential, like families and old people. And I'm just knocking on people's doors. Like, Hey, are you still up? Oh yeah. I'm like blacked out. Oh. I know. So I remember some of it. So I found this house, you know, the, the radio was blaring, the lights were on in the back and the house had a a gate and it said like do not uh enter and I'm like yeah that doesn't apply to me so like I hopped the fence and then found this guy just he was obviously drinking who else is up at 4 a.m and um we just hung out <laughs> like totally platonically super nice guy and I had just landed a good job that I was starting the next day and I showed up to the job drunk oh my gosh I know and the, the person that my boss was so nice to me, you know, so gracious, um, but just knew. And so after that, I came home and went on like a binge where I drank for like two days straight, went back to that house, um, almost did meth. I've never been like a big drug person and all the things. And so I just hit like a low where I was like, I need help. And so I went home. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm currently in Virginia and got sober. I live with my grandma. I went to treatment and just decided to get sober. So it's been a journey. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. I know. You just kind of gave me the notes. I just like laid it on you. Wow. Okay. So you've mentioned uh, pre-recording a husband. Where does he play into this? Because I'm feeling like as a partner watching your spouse or your partner in this case, like transition in and in and out of this heavy drinking, maybe trying mm-hmm. drugs. I mean, what what was his response to this? Yeah. I mean, you're a great interviewer because that's definitely part of my story. He actually was drinking throughout all of it. I mean, that was our relationship. We met in San Diego on the 4th of July on a boat, you know, <laughs> drunk the whole weekend. Mm-hmm. And I mean, our whole relationship wasn't based we we have a great relationship don't get me wrong but I mean a huge part of it was centered on drinking and so he was drinking at the same time that I was drinking and you know it's his story to to tell and I don't diagnose him all I know is that like it just wasn't good his drinking wasn't good either and so we would like like he'd be like okay I'm gonna quit and then I'm like yeah me too and then I we you know we would just go back and forth um I am happy to say he's sober now too mm-hmm. We just made the decision together that this, you know, to, to, we want kids too. And I was like, my kids don't deserve this life. Like Mm -hmm. I can't be a good mom drunk, you know, anyway. And so, um, yeah, so it's been interesting. He drank with me, but then he got sober with me. So, so if you take us back to January, 2020, that's when things started to get really rocky because it was February 3rd that you decided to get help. Like this was, this was the decision. Mm Mm-hmm. What was it that was the final straw? It's like, this has to change moment for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I think some people have these like big, great stories, but mine's not that interesting. It's just, it's actually funny. I love telling this story. So I had moved home to Cleveland to get sober, but addiction, I I remember thinking, okay, I'll move home, remove the booze. Everything will be fine. Well, I continued to drink for about a month. I moved in January and kept drinking and it was so bad. I was drinking and driving. I share that openly. Of course, I'm not proud of it, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And 
my family was like, okay, the terms are like, if you're going to stay here and get help, the next time you drink and drive, we're going to take your keys and your debit card so you can't drink. Cause that's how bad my addiction was. And so they took both, you know, cause I had been still drinking and I somehow, so I'm not sure if you're familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had been going there and I would ask my grandma, I was like, Hey, can I have a couple dollars? Cause they take donations. And so I'd been hoarding those dollars. And one day, like I asked my grandma, just drop me off at a coffee shop. Well, I lied and I walked in the middle of winter and you're in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you know how bad winters are, but it's <laughs> oh, yeah. the same. It's right, we're right on Lake Erie. So I'm like in my boots, like trudging to a bar and my family tracked me because I had my iPhone on like the tracker so they could hold me accountable. I had spent like $3, the, the, like the $10 that I had on some shitty beers, flirted with the guy down the bar to get more alcohol And my grandma just came in and was like, so nice to me. She just tapped me on the shoulder and was like, Hey, like, do you want to go home? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And so I went home and entered treatment the next day. And so that was February 3rd. Wow. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So in total transparency, what was the month of February like? Yeah. Gosh, no one's asked me that. That's a great question. I think looking back on it, it was, well, when I first started treatment, I was hungover. So that's never fun, but I would say it was just like a relief because I would, I had just been so miserable, you know, living in addiction, you're either drunk or hungover. And it was the first time in like 10 years, 10 to 12 years of drinking that I was sober. And then on top of that, it was like, when you're weaning yourself off of drinking every day, it was very hard. I, I wasn't at the point where I was like missing it or um, withdrawals. That's what I'm trying to say. But I had a craving and an obsession. So it was like, I mean, yeah, probably the first month was just trying to stay sober. Like that's what I was focused on was just don't have that drink. Mm-hmm. What kept you going? Um, treatment. <laughs> treatment definitely saved my life. I did outpatient, which means it's just like, three to five days a week of like four hours of like group therapy. And, you know, I share the story because you had to pee in a cup, like before every session, because there was also drug addicts too. And some did both. And, you know, if you didn't, weren't clean, they would kick you out of the program and you had like three strikes and I knew I needed help. I wanted to, I wanted to be there. So for me, my, it was just so bad that it was just like, I didn't even care. I mean, I did in deep inside care about family and hurting people, but I wanted to stay in that program more than anything. Cause I knew it was not a last shot. There's always hope. Right. But it was, you know, I was like, okay, like let's, I'm a very, like, let's focus on one thing at a time. And so I was like, we're going to stay sober, <laughs> you know, today we're not going to drink and we're going to show up to class. And yeah, so I would say, <laughs> and then AA, I was in AA. So mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing. I have so many questions for you. Of course. I'd love to know because basically shortly after you had made the decision to go sober, what's up COVID-19? And I know that it was kind of normalized. Wine o'clock, you know, a lot of people were drinking during the day, especially throughout March, April, and May. Um, So you had just previously said about how there was some really toxic messaging around binge drinking and blackout and the normalcy behind that. Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
So, I mean, it, that has always been there. Um, I, I, I'm not from Canada, but I would imagine you guys are similar, <laughs> you know, or it's, it's just breweries are a thing and yeah. right. And so even pre COVID, it's always been normalized to binge drink. I think like I would go to happy hours, you know, networking or whatever. And like everybody, I was not the only one having six drinks and then shots, you know, that kind of thing. And so, yeah. So, but then you saw like people doing zoom happy hours, right. I got invited to so many of those from like friends and stuff. And I was like, yo, I'm sober. Like I'll bring my mocktail, you know, or my sparkling water. But so I think, you know, I know that's why I actually, after a month of being sober, I came out on Instagram and in a blog post and just shared because I had just seen the rise. And like, I don't know the statistics, but I've seen it. Um, that deaths of desperation, which are like uh, death by suicide, drugs and alcohol overdoses are through the roof, right? But it's so interesting because on the other side, there's the normalization of like, because I I downloaded TikTok like so many of us did during COVID because I was bored, you know, and I would just see scroll, scroll, scroll of moms posting, you know, drinking wine during doing school and before work. And like, I never want to come, hopefully I don't come off like this where I'm judgy but it was just like this isn't funny like people are dying from this these diseases so I just I felt more passionate than ever to kind of what I tell people is I am not anti-drinking everyone has their own story like I know some people can drink and handle it I'm just here to say like it didn't work for me and can you just maybe if you are struggling is alcohol serving you like Mm -hmm. are you living your best life because I wasn't And I've been given everything in sobriety. Like my life is 100% better and all the things. I think that that's really incredible that you just touched on the fact that there were a lot of people that were kind of celebrating drinking just overall in general and over drinking at that. Because I had even noticed that within some of my, the people either that I follow or that I know quite well, that at first it was a bit of a joke, you know, that we're day drinking. But what it was so beautiful after a couple months of this, when it was like, holy shit, okay, this is actually not going away anytime soon, like buckle up, is I realized how many of those people became more sober curious. It was more of a, how do I actually deal with this? How do I actually sit with this. So anyone that's listening who is sober curious, what would you have to say to them? Yeah, gosh. I mean, yes. And that's so interesting. You said that because I got introduced to the sober curious movement a hundred percent. And I think I started with a book called, I didn't read it, but I followed her for a while. Her name's Ruby Warrington and it's from, it's called sober curious. Um, you might want to look that up, but I'm like 90% sure. But I would say, start there. Actually, surprisingly, like follow people on Instagram if you have it or look them up on social media. And when I was still drinking, interestingly enough, I'm a big reader. So I started, um, Holly Whitaker is called, it's her book's called Quit Like a Woman. And then Laura McCowan, it's called We Are the Luckiest. And it's just, it's so crazy. Their, their books came out right at the beginning of COVID, right when I was getting sober, all the things. And I just started, it's called Quitlet. And so I started reading Quitlet, you know, and I was still drinking, but then it was like, I saw people who I resonated with their stories who had much better lives than I did. And I was like, I want what they have, like whatever that is, 
give it to me. And it was sobriety, you know, and it doesn't have to be like, like I always say too, I think part of, I know part of my audience is sober curious. I'm like, you know, maybe for you, like you're in a, I have a good friend who, you know, we would drink heavily together. And then she quit for a period because she's like, she deals with mental health. And she was like, you know what? I'm going through a hard time, so I'm not going to drink right now. And so she quit. And then maybe you can pick it back up again. I can't. I can never have one. That's just, I can't. But the sober curious people, I think it's just, yeah, those are good places to start and just keep an open mind for sure. Okay. So I hate over talking about COVID at this point, but I'm really curious about it because (laughs) you've chosen in February to go sober. The world Mm -hmm. turns upside down in March, May, Mm -hmm. June, July. We're kind of looking at what's happening, right? Throughout this time, what were some personal practices that you had to maintain sobriety and to keep moving forward throughout this? I mean, even even into the holidays, I mean, it's been a long time, but when it comes to anxiety and depression that people have been experiencing through COVID-19 and moving forward through that, can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, I mean, well, interestingly enough, I did outpatient. So that was super helpful. And then I, gosh, I took on like, I didn't want to, but I have a sponsor, which is just someone who helps you stay sober, simply put. And she was like, you need a morning routine. And I was like, what? Like, I'm not a morning person, all the things. And so she gave me just like a book to read. And she's like, I need you to read and journal every morning. And I was like, you know, I don't want to do that. But it's funny. I started and it was life changing. So I adapted it and I'm not perfect by any means. Like there's days I don't do it, but I have a morning ritual of that, right. Of like not looking at my phone, journaling, and then meditating on a good day. I'll meditate in the morning, but I love being transparent. I don't do that every morning. I do try to meditate every day for about 10 minutes. Um, I use calm headspace or like insight timer. And that's just been life changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'm also a runner. So running, I've always been, I, that's just been a big part of my life. So just some kind of movement. And actually when I first got sober, interestingly enough, you helped me think of this is I wasn't running when I was drinking because obvious for obvious reasons, but I started walking. Like I would just walk and listen to podcasts, you know, just listen to podcasts. And then I was in therapy. So it's just a mixture of like, and then I, I have a faith, I pray and, and then community. I, I have a group of women that I meet with once a week there it's AA, but like, you know, we all check in with each other and it's real. It's like, how are you? Um, so yeah, it was just a combination of a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. The sober curious aspect. I think that there's a wondering that comes with sober curious about losing friends that are kind of solidified around a shared habit or a shared enjoyment of drinking and judgments from other people, ultimately other people just projecting their fear or insecurities with it, which I understand. Right. How would you suggest that people listening would ever overcome that? Or what was maybe a strategy that you had to overcome feeling judged by your decisions? Yeah. I mean, I remember I actually just found a journal of mine. It's so funny that I had like two years ago, I I had start. I tried to get sober for like two years on and off. And uh, I had written, I was like, you know, I have this girlfriend that I drink with like that's what we bond over and that's always heavily like a, bo- a bottle of wine each you know and I was like I'm scared to tell her that I'm sober I don't know what she's gonna think and well first of all it was my life you know on the line so I had I had to tell her you know and it was so funny she was so kind and we just made mocktails together you know it was just like I say that to say I think a lot of times 
we get more scared in our minds and like make up what people are going to say and assume before we even know. And I can't, this is, I can't speak for other people's friends, but I would say like, don't play the tape forward and say, this is what they're going to say. Like, don't have the fear before you even say anything, say what you need to, or like share that you're sober and then deal with what comes after, you know? And I will say I got blessed in the sense of I, my friends have just been very supportive in the sense of like, we won't drink around you, no big deal, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think the other thing is, but it is related because I do share my sobriety story on Instagram and my mental health. And, you know, I've had friends who, I don't know if I lost them, but they don't talk to me as much, you know, we're not as close. And I think you just have to honor the fact that I forget where I heard it, but I love this. It was like, you can be happy about the time that you were friends with them. You know what I mean? And be grateful for it. And I think I know that relationships ebb and flow and come out of our lives and come into our lives. And so maybe that person was in your space and in your life for a certain reason. And then if you have to let it go, certainly grieve the friendship. But ultimately, if they can't support such a huge decision in your life, then is it a friendship you even want? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is so good. Okay. I have my three safe haven style questions for you. You ready? Yes. Okay. What are you most proud of? Sobriety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that we keep talking about it, but it is like as of whatever the date is, the 10th or 11th of January, a hundred percent getting sober. Hardest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in COVID. <laughs> so yeah, no kidding. Congrats, like mega congrats and good for you for really sticking to that. That is a huge challenge. Thank you. What would you like to be known for? Mm, um, being kind and encouraging others to be kind. And if you had a message for everyone listening, what would it be? It really is related to what I just said, but something I'm learning and have learned in sobriety is compassion. So compassion for yourself because life is nuts right now. And it doesn't matter. I always hear people say people have it worse than me, or I didn't lose a job, whatever, you know, I'm like, it doesn't matter, especially if you're in the U S not that, not Mm -hmm. that Canada, but I'm just, you know, this is my, my world. You know, I live by DC. So all of this, you know, it's like, these things are going to impact us. So be kind to yourself And then on top of that, like be kind and compassionate to others because you just don't know what they're going through. Mm -hmm. You know, we really don't. I think we're very quick to judge people or, you know, I think our tempers are quick and anxiety is high. So yeah, I would say be kind and compassionate to yourself Mm -hmm. and to others. That's amazing, Christina. Thank you. And where can people find you on social media? Yeah. So I'm primarily my main social is Instagram. So it's just C and then Kimbrough one. And then I just, I have a website slash blog and it's just my first name, Christina Kimbrough.com. I will link all of those at the bottom for the podcast notes. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for your messages and your time. Thank you. Christina, thank you so much for sharing your stories with my listeners and I here on the safe haven. You've left me with a lot to think about too. And I'm sure that there are others out there feeling the same way. To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with my platform, and I am committed to creating a safe, brave, and inclusive space with intention. If this episode has hit you right in the heart or inspired you in any way, please screenshot the screen while you're listening, send it to your friends, and share it in your Instagram stories. 
Please be sure to tag us at the Safe Haven Podcast so that we can personally thank you for it. If you're able to write a review or leave a juicy five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, that really helps this podcast grow. For more great podcasts, check out FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com and I will talk to you next week.